Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell, and we're here with Church Planner Podcast number 32. Today, we are continuing with part two of our interview with Jill Martin Ritchie. She is the eldest daughter to Dr. Walter Martin. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. And he had a story, didn't he, where uh, they they were doing an exorcism, and uh, they had a he had a clinical psychologist with him who came along to you know see if they could debunk it. And uh, afterwards, I, I can't remember what the manifestation was, but they were uh, in the elevator, and and the psychologist said, "What was that that I just witnessed?" And Dr. Uh-huh. Martin said, "What you don't believe in." <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was a psychologist who had been at an exorcism with him. Is that the one you're? you're yeah, you know? that was. Yeah. Yeah, and the you know it's it's hard to disbelieve that there are evil spirits or demons when you hear a voice talking and the person's lips are not moving. That's pretty yeah. pretty hard to discount the fact that there's something there. In fact, when I was working on Kingdom of the Occult, I ran into um, some research from a professor at a pretty well known university in California and. Uh, he had been going into um, wards where they were, you know, they were treating people for mental illnesses, and he started noticing that there was this pattern of behavior in some of these people where they had superhuman strength, they could yeah. speak in languages they had never learned, um, all these really strange things that were happening in a pattern, and he's not a Christian at all. And he wrote this paper, uh, an academic paper, where he argued for the existence of evil spirits that could somehow control human beings. He said he refused to call them demons, of course, because he wouldn't want to go anywhere near the Bible. Right. But here's a, here's a professor from a respected university saying, hey, you know what, maybe we need to examine this a little more because I'm seeing a pattern of behavior here. And that's <laughs> kind of, you know, that's kind of like, you know, the response of the psychologist 
he was like, Walter, I would never have believed it if I hadn't have seen it with my own eyes. It's real. Yeah, what I found really uh, interesting, too, is uh, you actually, uh, and thanks for doing this, you submitted to us for Church Planner Magazine that story of uh, I've Got Legs with the mm-hmm. uh, the boy, which was just a great story. And in fact, um, when people are listening to this podcast, we've got uh, the January issue of the, the magazine will be on the newsstand and um, and another just phenomenal, uh, you know, hair-blowing-back article from uh, from Dr. Martin and an experience he had on a radio show um, where, uh, you know, what I thought was really interesting is in both of these stories, um, a, a Roman Catholic showed up and really helped him out, which I thought was really interesting because, in the, you know, I've got legs, the, the way it's written in the, the article is, you know, uh, the guy says, hey, you know, can you pray for me so I can walk again? And he sees a, a nun and he's like, well, I can use all the help I can get, you know. Let's, right. let's call in the charismatic. She actually believes in this stuff, so let's call her in. And then <laughs> that's right. um, And then in the uh, uh, the article where he's on the, the radio show, um, you know, the guy who's, I don't know if he's running the, the control booth or, or what, you know, he calls Dr. Martin over and says, hey, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a Roman Catholic. We can argue about that later, but right now it's just you and me. Let's team up together and help each other and let me right. teach you what they're right. doing here and cutting you off. And, and so that way you can get in and, and you know, with that help, uh, you know, in the article, he was just able to really open up the doors. God was able to open up the doors and, you know, he had a, a period of time where he was just able to go off and share the gospel. And I just thought it was so interesting um, how the, the, how, you know, Catholics played a role in this when, and so much of uh, of the evangelical world, you know, we almost discount Catholics entirely, which doesn't, you know, make much right. sense. But uh, I, I just find that really interesting. Well, my father grew up in the Catholic Church. I went to Catholic schools, and he knew the flaws. He knew the flaws in theology. He knew the problems with the Catholic Church. But uh, when I was growing up, he raised us to be, I guess, uh, more compassionate, to recognize flaws in theology, but not to take the baby and throw it out with the bathwater. He believed mm. that there were, you had to examine the core theology of the Catholic Church, the core theology, I'm emphasizing that, you know, which is belief in the Trinity and the identity of Jesus Christ and all those things that we would have in common with them. And he taught us not to discount the fact that there were brothers and sisters in Christ within the Catholic Church. And so I know that's a very touchy subject for a lot of people uh, because there is that attitude among some Catholics that if you're not part of the Church, then you're not the Church. So, Mm. you know, you do have these disagreements with people. But my father always felt like you couldn't say that just because someone was Catholic, they were not a Christian. He felt that was wrong. Yeah, he felt that was wrong, and I know I'll probably catch a lot of of criticism for saying that, but, you know, I I have always taken that perspective, that there is serious error within the Catholic Church, but the core of their beliefs is something that we agree with, and they agree with us. So uh, I think that's why my father felt comfortable praying 
with that Roman Catholic nun and why. Um, you know, he, he seemed to run into them here and there, and he treated them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Hmm. You know, I, as a young believer, I, I came into contact with, with Catholics who were clearly uh, born again and mm-hmm. clearly had a deep walk with Jesus, understood the grace of God, um, no issue there, and were in that church, you know. And so um, for me, hey, God will sort it all out. It's not my job. But, uh, but what I dig on is, you know, how Dr. Martin kind of got into, um, and I want to go back to this, Jill, if, if you don't mind. Uh, you were telling the story, and then we all got excited because of what you said, and we didn't. <laughs> You know, we do that on this show. We're like short attention span uh, podcast. Um, we, we 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 get all you know. Woo, hey, that was a good point, Pete. Let's talk about that. What were we talking about again? But uh, going back to to Dr. Martin's story um, back in the beginning, how did he end up doing this? I know you're giving us some of his background. How did he get into the frontline trenches of countercult ministry? He just started to do research. He had a friend um, in Stony Brook, and uh, he wanted to try to reach him, and he just started talking to him. He started running into these people who are in part of these cults, and he thought, well, where's the information? How, how do I get the information to argue with them? And he couldn't find any. So when he couldn't find any, he thought, you know, this isn't right. There have to be answers for people. And that's when he started searching and looking. And he really felt called. You know, he fought. He fought for a long time the call to be a preacher. He thought, Mm -hmm. well, you know, maybe I'll just go into the law because my they're all lawyers and judges. And so he thought, well, this is perfect for me. And he really fought the call to be a preacher, but... Um, when he was young and he got a chance to preach for the first time, he realized uh, that that's what God was calling him to do. And then from there, it narrowed down to the cults and researching them and trying to get information out there that was not out there already. And, and you know, God puts a passion in your heart to do something. A lot of times people will say to me, um, I teach, I'm, I'm a professor at University of Northwestern, and I'll get questions from people. And they'll say to me, well, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. And what is your passion? What do you love? What has God created inside of you that's already there, that makes you who you are, your talents, your abilities? Because God puts into our hearts the passion to do something. Mm. And he gives, us the abil- yeah, he gives us the abilities and the talents to accomplish those passions. And so I point them to their own heart. And, and you have to take your heart and go before the Lord and say, give me the passion. Is this, is this where I'm supposed to go? This is where I want to go. Well, a lot of times God does send you where your heart wants to go. That's not always the case. A lot of the time it is. So yeah. that's what happened with him. God put a passion into his heart that hadn't been there before for Mormons, for Christian scientists, you know, for Jehovah's Witnesses, for all of these people who were lost, thinking that they were just perfectly fine. He wanted to give them answers. Yeah. I remember he was talking about, um, he used to eat his lunch um, downtown in, I think it was New York as well. Yeah, But he used to eat his lunch, and there was an old preacher there who was a good street preacher, and he said this guy could really... Uh, knock a, a, a gospel ball out of the park, but he had so many hecklers, you know, um, downtown, I think it was Manhattan or maybe Brooklyn, but he said, 
he, he basically went up to him one day and said, look, you're called to do a job here, and you're, you're really struggling because every time you get going, man, you get stopped by a heckler. And you never get to the punch. You never get to the gospel. And he said, look, I'll make you a deal. I come out here and eat my lunch, and I'll help you. Like, when you get a heckler, just say, go see that young man over there. And he said, no, I'll handle him. I'll, I'll tangle with them. You keep preaching the gospel and just keep sending them over to me. And he said, I ended up getting every walk of life. And I think that was kind of his baptism by fire, wasn't it? Yeah, that was his training. He was in graduate school at New York University, and he would go there. Um, he would work part-time and go to school. And then when he wasn't there, he'd be on the street corners or down on Wall Street um, preaching and teaching, and he would get all the hard ones that you know were heckling the other street, <laughs> the other street preachers. And so all the really bad guys would come over and corner my dad by the entrance to the subway, and so he would sit, stand there and try to answer all of their questions. So yeah, he had to be on his toes, and it really was a baptism by fire. And some of his best stories, you know, teaching stories come from what he ran into during that time. He really had to know what he believed and why he believed it, because if he didn't, they would have taken him apart piece by piece. And he applied that same type of strategy to dealing with people in the cults. You have to know the, the original. You have to know the real thing before mm-hmm. you can begin to tear apart and recognize and tear apart the counterfeit. Remember, he used that, that um, yeah. exa- example of, of how banks make sure that their tellers know what real money looks like, feels like, so you can recognize it instantly when it's not real money. You know the counterfeit. You know- you know, people use that and probably don't realize that, that that's pure Dr. Martin right there. That was yeah. that was him. That was that he was the guy that shared that. And uh the other thing, you know, it's the catchphrase for, for CRI uh to this day, but are you willing to do for the truth what the cults are willing to do for a lie? I remember that was like dropping a bomb first time I heard that. Like that stunned me. Um yeah. that was powerful, that was prophetic. You know, it's so funny because you know, all these years I've been such a huge fan, and I still have, believe it or not, I still have my old uh, uh, cassette tapes. I still have those. <laughs> and I've, I've actually digitized them because they're hard to get, and I want to talk about that because it's kind of like in the book of Judges where it says, and there arose a generation who knew not uh, Dr. Martin. I'll, I'll put his name in there because, uh, you know, he really was, in my opinion, I I feel like the devil wanted nothing more to do than to just take your father's ministry because we were talking about boxing earlier and, uh, you know, the fact that an occupational hazard of being a boxer is getting hit. Well, your father was a damage dealer, man. He was a haymaker in the kingdom of God. When Paul says weapons of righteousness are right hand and left, (laughs) your dad was dealing some damage to the enemy. And I just feel like, I just feel like Satan just wants, everyone to forget. And one of my passions, and I, I remember a story, one of my passions is to not let that happen. And especially now that, uh, you know, we're in an age and in a days, you've already talked about some of the shifts in, in thinking uh, within the church and, of course, the world. But um, the power will only come, I believe, when this generation of ministers get a little bit more of the spirits of the prophet in them to say, I don't care what you think of me. Right now, there's an awful lot of idolatry in 
Christian ministry. And people more worried about what others think. They want to be seen as the nice guy. They don't want to rock the boat. And like we said earlier, you know, uh, Walter Martin went on that TBN show and talked about non rock being a disease that's infected the church, you know, decades ago. And right. they, they, they smiled at him and said, Dr. Martin, are you saying you want to rock the boat? And he says, I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. And, you know, I, I love And what he was talking about was the corruption, the, the idolatry, the, uh, what, yep. what we've allowed Christianity to become. And, uh, and I, I definitely share that spirit. But, but getting off my rant here, I'm about to step off the platform. <clears throat> my, uh, uh, one, of my, one of my things that I want to uh, just kind of ask you about is um, what actually happened? Why is it? Like, I remember years ago going to uh, CRI, uh, Christian Research Institute, going to their website, looking, thinking, I need – uh, this such and such tape or such and such message, audio message, and it was gone. I remember being kind of ticked off. I was like, wait, this is Christian. Re- Where is Dr. Martin's stuff? Like, you know, th- they haven't come out with anything as good as the research that was there when he was there. There was a shift in the direction that I noticed just listening to the radio after your father died. What happened? Well, what happened is that um, my father was a very trusting person, and he trusted the wrong person. That's it in a nutshell. And right. when you trust someone and they don't turn out to be who you thought they were, um, you can have a big problem, especially if you're not there anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like that's, that's what happened at Christian Research Institute. It fell into the wrong hands. It remains in hands that um, my father would sincerely be appalled to see. Um, It's a very sad thing. My father was passionate about Israel. He loved and defended Israel. And, of course, um, we have Hannah Graff now, who is aligning with the pro-Palestinian position and completely against Israel. And that is something that my father would never have countenanced, never in a million years. And so you have all these wrong things lined up, um, wrong attitudes, uh, wrong procedures as far as research and, and how that research is done, whether it's your own or someone else's, and acknowledging that. It's all of these things that make us, um, made us as a family, uh, 99% of our family say, uh, this isn't right. This man shouldn't be where he is today. Um, but of course, that's up to God. You know, God, God takes care of all these things. A long time ago, we left it as a family and said, this is up to God. You know, he will handle what has happened because Christian Research Institute belongs to him. And so, you know, we left it with him and, you know, realized that we can only do so much. But uh, we called for Hannah Graff's resignation in the Los Angeles Times years ago, and we continue to call for his resignation because he does not belong as head of Christian Research Institute. So that's our position as a family. 99% of our family, there is 1% that disagrees. 
but I think 99 is a pretty good number. And so we remain united in that, and uh, yeah. we pray for Christian Research Institute. We pray for the Hanagraphs. We pray for all of the people who are involved in supporting this terrible thing that they're doing now as far as allying themselves with Witness Lee and the local church or Living mm. Stream Ministries, which is theology that my father repudiated basically as um, foolishness and serious error, serious doctrinal error, they are now supporting. They are now saying is something that the church, they're actually trying to send people to them, if you can believe that. And, uh, you know, my father would be livid because he did so much research and he had other people doing so much research on this, on the living streams or the local church. And what came up what came back was not doctrinally sound. So that's what you have going on today at Christian Research Institute. And I would encourage everyone just to pray for them and pray for those people who are involved over there. Uh, meanwhile, good things have been happening <laughs> with Walter Martin Ministries. God, um, that's the ministry that my husband Kevin and I founded. It's basically... Um, I guess we were called to do to preserve what my father did. And um, yeah. Kevin, both Kevin and I never felt like we would ever be called to that. We were just like the farthest thing from that. But you know how it is? We talk about passion. God's put such yeah. a passion into our hearts. And so my husband, Kevin, saved um, so many of my father's uh, audios that were degrading and yeah. digitalized them and... He continues to do that, and and then in 2010, God gave us a full-power FM radio station in the number 16 market in America. Hmm. So God, God has wonderful plans, and we, we had nothing to do with it. It really wasn't ever our dream to run a radio station. It wasn't ever, we weren't ever, you know, feeling called towards that. But sometimes God just moves, and you go with him. I mean, you pray, and you just say, okay, this is where he's taking us. And he gave us something that was totally impossible. All of these FM frequencies, they were gone 30 years ago. So God gave us an incredible thing, and he's doing wonderful things. There's the Kingdom of the Occult that came out in 2008 that's doing well, and, of course, the Kingdom of the Cults, which continues to do very well. So God is blessing my dad's legacy. He is really, um, and then, you know, the wonderful chance that I have to to meet and talk with you. And that is just to me another blessing and another example of God's grace and, you know, toward my dad and toward us. Well, you know, there's so many people walking around there that, you know, realize, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today um, if it weren't for his ministry. I mean, I have personally led cultists to faith. I have led Muslims to faith um, because of your father and because, you know, he inspired me with the courage to not just write them off, but to sit down and talk to them, to invite them into my home, um, to, you know, get down in the trenches. And and it was interesting because uh, in Martin Under Fire, and there's so many times I've wanted to go back to that during this conversation um, and Martin under fire, which by the way, for the listeners, it's uh, it was a compilation of Dr. Martin taking Q and a at the end of when he would give a talk. Say you'd be in Salt Lake city mention about the time he had a bulletproof vest. They actually have recordings from his visit there where he invited all the Mormon apologists, Mormon speakers to come and to listen to what he had to say. And then he would open up for debate. 
and uh, and and it is just amazing stuff when you listen to it. And what Jill said earlier about my my father had a photographic memory. You hear him actually. They'll say, you know, in doctrines he'll say, you know, doctrines and covenants it says, and he'll say, actually, sir, that's uh, from page seventy-eight, second paragraph down. I know what you're talking about. And actually, to correct you, what it actually says is, boom, boom, boom. Check out what I'm saying, and it's 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 amazing. You're just listening to this going. God, raise up another Walter Martin. But in <laughs> Martin Under Fire, he says, look, um, I pray that God would raise up. He goes, I'm nothing special. Now, we all you know, sitting back, yeah, right. You know, hey, you're an incredibly gifted dude. I told you I was going to wax a little fanboy in this. But the, <laughs> the fact is, you know, he's up there with Lloyd-Jones, Spurgeon. You know, I got, I got my heroes. But uh, it's Peyton Jones is Hebrews 11, but, uh, but, but the reality is, you know, uh, he said, I pray that God would raise up, uh, a number of men and women who would have the same passion. And Joe, that's kind of where you come in. And I, it really, to a certain degree, when I saw waltermartin.com and you mentioned, you know, kind of shifting away, his legacy has continued and it is continuing. And that's where for me, I, I literally, praised God when I saw that site because I thought, you know, uh, the enemy wants to silence him and silence. Uh, and so for this next generation of church planners, they're going to be in the front, on the front lines. They're going to be like Dr. Martin. If they're doing their job, they're going to be in the trenches. They're going to be in contact with all these different guys. And to me, that's a significance of what you and Kevin have done in kind of rebooting that ministry, making these resources available at waltermartin.com. So that the next generation of leaders can be inspired, receive courage, hear what actually happened, um, realize, kind of like Gideon said, you know, where's, where's this, this God of wonders that, that our fathers told us about? Um, Dr. Martin, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I tell the podcast sometimes, we're in inner city Long Beach right now planning, and uh, in two years I've been at five exorcisms, and I keep having my my guy saying, what just happened? You know? And I'm like, dude, that, that was a, that was a demoniac, you know? And I'm, I'm a psych nurse. That's my background. So, um, I've been in the psych hospital. I've, I've encountered people that are just ill, but, um, also people who were definitely possessed. And so just, you know, as we're talking about this, that's the exciting thing to me is that you actually are to a certain degree and answer your father's own prayer to raise up another generation. And we're going to go ahead and stop the interview at this point. And tomorrow we're going to come back and we're going to bring you part three with Jill Martin Ritchie, the eldest daughter to Dr. Walter Martin. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.